And John chapter 1 is where we are in this class. We're going back up to verse 29. Make sure you track Lauren down and tell her thanks. She was very nervous about doing that for the big group, but I think she needed to, don't you? That was, um, that was valuable. Again, I think it puts skin on the stories, and the stories can become stale if you don't watch out. I think the video was great today, um, and I only had to work five minutes. That's exciting. John chapter 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. The Jews, um, like most Semitic languages, uh, most Semitic peoples rather, love playing with words. And we don't get a lot of the wordplay because it doesn't come across in English. But this one does. You know, he came after me because he was before me. That pre-existence, but also that before me is a status, a uh, ranking thing. You know, he came after me because he is more important than me. John has always been humble about his role in this. Then he says something fascinating. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was so that he might be revealed to Israel. Even John had to figure out who Jesus was. Even when you're told who Jesus is, you have to figure out who he is. Do you understand what I mean by that? You can be told um, well, for example, in, in the woman's uh, story in Luke chapter 7, she'd been told about Jesus the Savior until she experienced Jesus the Savior. In the stories that Joe told before our, our collection today, we, we hear that the church is a family and the church is here to love you, but it's only after it happens that it becomes real to you. I have... Um, I've met so many people. I think I've told this story here before. When I ran a counseling clinic, uh, a lady told me something which I did not believe. And now that's to my shame. She told me I did not believe her because it seemed unbelievable. I guess it's just the only way I could say it. Through the years running that clinic, I had so many women tell me this, that even though I don't understand it, I believe it. Many of them said that cancer was the best thing that ever happened to them because it awakened something in them or they learned something about faith or they dumped an abusive husband uh, because they decided, you know, I don't have time for this. Um, you know, one lady even told me, she said, you know, I rearranged my life. I, I lost 180 pounds of ugly fat. And I said, wow, wow, how'd you do that? And she goes, I divorced him. And I went, okay. Um, that, that, that's one way, you know, less sweat involved, I guess. But the whole point is, sometimes we have to learn, John was born just a bit before Jesus. It is understood that they would have had correspondence as children. You know, when you, want, when you go to the, the temple, you go as a family, and that would be an extended family. So they would have known each other. But he says, I came baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel I think what he's trying to say, and, and Albert, you correct me if I'm off here, and I'm serious about that. Um, I think what he's saying is that 
I learned who he was. Now I want you to know who he is. I want you to learn what I have learned by being close to him. Is that anywhere near? They heard him preached and followed Jesus. You're, you're right. Could you, and I wish I'd mic'd you today. I really do. Because there are a couple of things. Um, the reason I came baptizing with water was to reveal him to Israel. We all know that they baptized a lot. A lot of self-baptism, you know, in the mikvah, um, was what John was doing, being the baptizer. Uh, I mean, they gave him that name. Was that unusual? Oh, with these, the, okay, the Essenes as... Gotcha, okay, I may come back to you. <laughs> uh, it's people, when you have Albert Lemons in the room, use Albert Lemons, that's just a rule of life. It's on one of the commandments. Um, John gave this testimony. I saw the spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. It, the, uh, this is God's chosen one. Many manuscripts go a little closer to Isaiah, what is that, 34, saying this is the Son of God. Now, once you, we say that and we go, well, yes, it's Jesus. Do you understand how outrageous this sounds? in the most fiercely monotheistic society that has ever existed on earth. To then say, and there's his son. This is still very offensive to Muslims, for example, who believe that God could not have a son in that sense of the term, uh, who could, and God could not die on a cross and all of these things. They, they want to put God up so high that he becomes more of, a, of an avatar, avatar is not the right word, um, a thing to them than a being in relationship. One that's, um, I have a friend who's lived most of his life now with uh, the Muslims in Indonesia. His name is Winston Bolt. Uh, we I've not heard from Winston in the last few years. I've started worrying about him. I'm hoping he, he's all right. But he established a college on the island of Batam to train ministers. They've started many congregations. And Winston's one of these guys where I try to get drama out of him. Like, ooh, how hard is this? And so he's going, oh, you know, it's all right. You know, and he was robbed and the like. And I was going, oh, isn't that terrible? And he's going, well, you know, we lost a few things. We'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll take. He refuses to go all drama on me. So I have no great preacher stories uh, at all. And it's very frustrating. But... Uh, he, he married an Indonesian lady. One of the things he told me, he said, I just talked to them about how God wants to know them as a person and walk with them as a person. And I find that they are so hungry for a personal relationship, but they had no idea that was possible. He was away. He was away. Um, if you remind me, I'm going to see if Cammy. I'm going to see if I can find him. Next time he's in the States, make sure he comes here. Uh, that, I think, think you would enjoy listening to Winston, who was converted in prison, by the way, and then has spent 
got, it's got to be now 30, 40 years converting others. Uh, it's amazing. Anyway, the next day, John, it's, it's, it's the whole point, we went off on a little we, like you were in, involved, uh, went into the ditch there for a while. But again, the fiercely monotheistic culture, this is going to cause trouble and raised eyebrows. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. How many times is he going to say this? Well, remember the Lamb stories. We keep remembering the Lamb stories on the road. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And that's what Albert brought up a while ago. They listened to John and followed Jesus. I want to ask you a really hard question, because we're Church of Christ people. This is especially a hard question. What if, for somebody to follow Jesus, they need a different kind of music than we can provide? Or a different minister than you can provide? Can we bless them and send them to worship elsewhere? My response is, absolutely. And by the way, so was Alexander Campbell and Thomas Campbell. So that was their answer. If you read the declaration and address in the first proposition, it says that while the church is one, we by necessity need to meet in individual, local areas. But that doesn't mean we're divided. Most of you were not a, a part of this last week, but you may have heard of it. The Catholic Church, three blocks away from here, wanted to honor the victims of the Church of Christ that were shot up in Bethel Chapel, up in Antioch and did a march last Sunday night in the rain. It wasn't raining the whole time, but in the rain. I, I did not get, people asked, did you get a count? No, uh, I'm guessing a couple hundred. Uh, and they said, how many from our group came? I'm gonna say dozens, but that's really all, because the priest asked me to walk with him and could not have been kinder and more open and discussing what we can do together all the way there, all the way back. Later I learned that some of our members here, and by the way, if you've told me, I forgot. Some of our members here go to that Catholic church every Sunday, and after early mass, come here. 20 years ago, I would have taken that to the elders, and we got to do something. Because these people are finding Jesus somewhere else, and that can't happen. Because you know, we're the only ones that have him. He's in a box. Um, and it has our label on it. It's a, it's a copyright issue. Um, John wasn't trying to build his brand. He was trying to build God's brand. This is something, I'm 60 years old, I am still learning. Not to build my brand, but to build his one of the things that people ask me, I'll go off and speak at places, and uh, it, it's amazing, they'll come up, how many people go to your church? Now, I'll tell them, you know, 3,000. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell them, we're in the 600s, we bump 700 every now and then. And I know what they're, they, they expect there to be more. You know, they'll say, how many services do you have? One. That's all they can take. And we'll... Some of them have asked, and some people have asked, shouldn't Fourth Avenue become a mega church? We actually have the tools. We could do this. You know, we got the property down there. We've got, we've got the talent. We could do it. And 
my response is let's build God's brand, not ours. Let's fill our building. By the way, you may not know this, but we've had people come here right before they planted a church. Did not have our name on it, but came for a blessing from our people, and we blessed them because we're not building our brand, we're building his. That is hard to do. Think of it this way. Uh, how many of you have grandchildren? All right. Aren't they being raised wrong? Oh, horribly, horribly wrong. And yet today we'll get to babysit our grandsons. We will go by the rules of their parents. Why? Well, yes, because we want to do it again. But also because we realize that part of our job is to let them build their brand, not ours. Let them be who they are, not us. And that's a hard thing to do in a family. Think of it in a church family then. We all need to build his brand. Now, I know that's rather controversial in some churches. I don't think it is here. I think Fourth Avenue is known for trying to build God's brand. I, I like this next bit. The two disciples heard him say this. They followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, what do you want? That's a brilliant question. Jesus asked a lot of questions that we could, if we were still in the 90s, respond, well, duh. But they're really deep questions. Think of God in the Garden of Eden asking Adam and Eve, where are you? That bothered me when I was a kid. Come on, he's God. Then I realized he was wanting them to realize where they were. Now, do you remember he asked, he'll ask him a guy later, do you want to be healed? Seems like a stupid question, doesn't it? But I've met many people whose illness is their identity. If you took that from them, they would not be pleased. They've got nothing left. Well, Jesus says, what do you want? That's a really good question. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They didn't really answer the question, except they called him Rabbi, which might indicate, might indicate that they would like to learn from him. Where are you staying? Come, he replied, you'll see. Jesus was not trying to build a big following at this stage, was he? In fact, you'll see in a couple of chapters, whenever his mother tries to, well, in one chapter, when his mother tries to get him to do something which will become public, he's going, no, that didn't work. So they went and saw where he was staying. They spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said, who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and we brought him to Jesus. And, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, and we read this last week, you are Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. These things had much more import in the first century than they do now, the changing of names and alike. I have found... And, and maybe I'm wrong, because anecdotes are not data, and I get that. But in the generation, generation X and the millennials, they're paying far more attention to names than we did. Um, we use names because we like that name. Uh, or we knew somebody that was of that name, and we like that name. More and more, I'm finding that they're bringing in names with deeper meaning. 
for example, my, um, my grandson, one of my grandsons, middle name is Ford. And that's, we don't have a Ford in our family except motor vehicles. But that's why he's named that, because my son married into a Ford family that has worked for Ford in Detroit since, I guess, Henry was born. Uh, and they've been there, and Ford, 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 Ford. And if, and if you don't drive a Ford up there, you're in trouble, which we always are. But again, that's, that's important. One of my other grandsons' middle name is Nash, because they live in Nashville. And they love Nashville. I'm thinking, well, it's good he, they don't live in Schenectady, I guess. But again, names are important, but they had much more meaning back then. Very often you would give a name to your children that was not known to anyone else. You kept it quiet. Because if you knew the name, you had power over them. It's a whole belief system. So you kept that name quiet. I found years ago that in our family, we weren't always called Mead. That was a stolen name the best I can figure it out and you start tracing our family back all of a sudden you hit a void well there's a reason uh, we were on the run not for the first or last time but this time more creative than the other times it seems names to us are important but think of this I'm going to change your name you're going to become a rock we'll learn more later the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Beth Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, of Joseph. Now, um, notice what's happening. One tells one. One tells one. Jerry Tolman is the guy that was a preacher uh, in that Detroit area church that I served for 10 years before I got there, and he recruited me to come take his place because he wanted to do just full-time evangelism. Never seen anybody like him. Scary good. And he does free seminars if ever you guys want to have one. He and his wife retired, sold their everything, and live in a 40-foot Winnebago, and they go everywhere. He told me, he said, do you remember that commercial? And, and I did, and this has been some time ago, where a guy, he gets in an elevator and turns to people next to him, lowered my cholesterol. And he's, he's in a shop, lowered my cholesterol. And they, one person says, why are you telling me? And he says, I'm telling everybody. He said, that's the way you have to be about Jesus. He said, of course I'm telling everybody about Jesus. Because it's Jesus. Jerry taught me a lot. By the way, if you want to get a copy of his really good book, I don't push books very often, but I should. Um, you can go to an, a website called His Eternal Plan. Dot com. And he has a book that will walk you. You can sit down with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and it walks them all the way through baptism and a committed life. And it's, it's really well done. He would come down the hallway and say, fill my sleeve because it would be wet. He just baptized somebody. It seemed like every day. Got to the point where when he came down the hall, my kids would go, we've been baptized. <laughs> We're good. But I, I, this one telling one, if you wonder how how effective it is. I mean, big rallies with tens of thousands of people look very impressive. I want you to learn the power of exponents. Exponential growth. Here's how you do it. Once you go home, you're going to find your own figures. How many people are on the planet? 
okay? Put that over here. Now, how many people are Christians? I think the number is huge, but let's strip it all out. Let's strip it all down to our brand. Probably about one and a half. We used to say three, but then somebody counted. <laughs> and, and maybe one and a half. Find your own figures. What if everybody in our group converted one person in a year? Just one. Okay, double your number. What if they, everybody converted one person the next year? Double that number. How many years would it take? And let the population grow too. How many years would it take before everybody on the planet was a member of our brand is about 11 years. Now, that's a nonsense story because um, some people are not going to convert, right? And some people who are Christians and believers are not able to teach others because of physical handicaps or the like. So I'm, I'm aware that's a nonsense story, but I want you to understand the power of one-on-one -on -one will grow things a lot faster than you think. Besides, if I'm converted at a, and I'm not opposed to these, please don't misread anything I'm saying. If I'm converted at one of these 10, 20,000 uh, member thingies and I come forward and fill out a card and the like, the, the, the rate of falling away is huge because I have no person I'm accountable to. On average, according to Sticky Church, which is a great little book to read, uh, and I don't know where they get their data, frankly. And as a scientist, that concerns me some, but I don't doubt their data. I just like to know more about it. They say if a person is in, has personal relationships with three people, they're very unlikely to leave that church. If it is five people, they will not leave that church. That church has become sticky. They have personal relationships with five people. What are these guys doing? You know me. We grew up in the same town. You follow me. You got to see this guy. I get all the time, all the time, there's a hyperbole, people sending me links. Oh, you like guitar, you got to hear this guy. Most of them are just, I really didn't need to hear that. So most of the time, sorry, I don't even click on the links. I, I'm, I don't listen unless I know the person who sent me the link and they know me and we have a relationship, then I'll listen. And I've been introduced to some really great music. You understand what I'm saying there? Form a relationship with the people before you try to win them over to Jesus. All of these people knew each other. All of them. So go out, serve, love one another, and work with them. I love what comes next. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Jesus. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? Nathaniel asked. Well, that's a good question. You might say, oh, that's a horrible thing. Oh, we say it. We say it. My, where's, where's your surgeon from? Um, Eastern Kentucky. Coal miner. Family. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy says whenever you hear a southern accent, you automatically deduct what he said, 10 IQ points. And, and you know that that's the way you're portrayed on television. So I'm not, I'm not insulting you. You know that's the way culture. Uh, and he brings, he does a bet. I can't do the bet. But he comes in. What if your brain surgeon came in and said, well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going, you know, immediately. Um, <laughs> even if you're Southern, you immediately begin, ooh. 
Now, the reason I'm bringing all that up and using that illustration is Nazareth and where Jesus was from and where his followers and bulk of them came from was, was considered the, the sticks. Hickville. To the point where they were, their accents were so thick, it was just understood that they could not learn other languages. People from Jesus' area couldn't learn other languages because their accents were too thick. Now, if you're wondering, how, how odd is that? No. I have heard a teacher from Alabama teaching French. There's not a French person on the planet that could have understood a thing. But it sounded beautiful and musical, so there you are. Uh, the, and that's why, by the way, in Acts chapter 2, when these guys are up preaching, they say, how can they be from there? And we're hearing in our language. So Jesus, think of, Jesus had a choice, didn't he, of where he was going to be born? And to whom? And where he would live? He chose to go to the place nobody thought much of. Think of the woman in Luke 7. Think of the Samaritan woman. Think of David the king, who wasn't David the king. He was David the last choice among many. If you think you are completely unworthy for God to have any attention or love for you, read the Bible. You're his main target group. How does that make you feel? And, and I know that sometimes when preachers say things, it can sound like a false humility. I hope by this stage, I've been here almost four years, I try to live my life out loud, and I try to let you know of my struggles and my difficulties as well. You need to believe me when I say there is absolutely no reason for God to use me at any time. None. The cracks in my soul and life are too wide. If, if God had any managerial sense, he would have left me by the side of the road. But that's who God targets and uses them. And so Paul does this because he's a lawyer. It takes him a long time to say it about when you're weak, then you're strong. And, and, and it just means it shows that God doesn't win because we have bigger armies. It wins because he's God. And he can use the small, the insignificant, to do a lot. Um, I wish I could do the illustration from money, but I really can't. I, people, when it comes to money, just, I got nothing. Uh, my wife balances the checkbook. I don't know how. I'm assuming she kills a chicken, lights a candle. Something happens. And then she'll come. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm still struggling with the need of that. I just, you just change banks every three years. Just walk in. What do I have? You know, and evidently she doesn't like that plan. But I'm told about the power. And don't come up to me later and explain it because people have. And it's just. Just, you're wasting your time. It's like teaching a pig how to juggle. You know, there's, it's not necessary. Um, and the result won't be good. But they'll talk about if you save $10 a week when you're 18, what that'll be when you're 60. And it's huge. Because it used to be bigger when we actually had interest rates. Um, do, you remember, do you remember the, in 1981, the peak interest rate on homes? was 18.62%. Woohoo! <laughs> we couldn't afford a box. But again, one on one on one, and he takes the little ones. Philip says, come and see. 
when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, here's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Now, that's another way of saying, well, here's a guy that'll just say what he's thinking. Jesus already knew what he's thinking. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. He said, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Now, by the way, if you're thinking, he saw, he saw me under a fig tree and that convinced him. I assume that means he was there alone. There was nobody where he was. And God said, and Jesus said, I saw where you were. And he goes on, you believe because that little thing? We'll see greater things than that. And I imagine he was grinning or laughing when he said it. And he said, very truly, I tell you, you'll see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I did this story with the first couple sermons I was here. I'm not going to go in great depth here, but there's, there are themes and chains throughout the Bible and there are threads throughout the Bible. This is one of them. If you remember when Jacob was on the run from Esau and he slept and it, uh, a rock was his pillow. Do you remember that story? And he dreamed of that, uh, that ladder to heaven. It wasn't a ladder. It was a stairway to heaven. Led Zeppelin got it right. King James got it wrong. And um, so, you know, anyway, so good music works, people. Uh, so any, anyway, they, what, were, what was that stairway doing? Angels are going back and forth to get the will of God and make sure it was done on earth. It was a message to, to Jacob. Jesus says, he's that stairway. You will see angels going up and down on me. I'm the connection between heaven and earth. Boom. If he'd had a mic, he would have dropped it. I can't drop this one because it takes three minutes to get it off. And it's just, it's very frustrating. I mean, if you just slam down the ear thing, it's like slamming the flap of a tent. It's not impressive. So there you are. Um, any questions or comments you've got on this before we get into what I consider a hilarious and beautiful story that nobody understands? Yes, please. Oh, Albert, yes. You're, you're absolutely right. And next, we got to mic him. Um, our church went into the ditch on many different things. We can all admit this, can we not? By the way, if we think we're not in a ditch now, we're wrong. Everybody's in a ditch, but we were in a deeper ditch. We told people, I mean, I was told that the Holy Spirit did not exist in us or in our life separate and apart from the Word. That phrase, separate and apart from the Word, was part of our liturgy almost. I'm getting a lot of nods, right? I, um, if you ever follow the blogs of Bobby Valentine, which you should, it's, he has a great sense of humor, but his theolo theology is so deep. His uh, blog is at stonedcampbell.blogspot.com. Uh, you can just look up Bobby. And he's just written his second book this year with John Mark Hicks. Um, so, and it's, it's all about um, grace for the hurting and the broken, and it's a very timely book. Anyway, 
Bobby spends a lot of time showing the personalities involved who stole the Holy Spirit from our group and shoved him into a black book and said, the Holy Spirit only lives here and only says what we interpret him to say from this book. And so we, uh, I can remember um, the first time I heard the, a song that, was set, that mentioned the Holy Spirit inviting him. And I'm going, what do they think is going to happen? I thought the Holy Spirit had basically retired. Wrote a book, went to Florida, uh, I guess, home of the newlywed and nearly dead. Um, people this tall that drive big cars. Anyway, um, we're supposed to be wrapped up in the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan calls the Holy Spirit the forgotten God. By the way, it's a good book. It's a real good book. Um, help me out, because Tim Woodruff wrote a really good book on the Holy Spirit, and the name is gone. Do you remember that one, Albert? You don't either? I'm sorry to put you on the spot. And he sent me the draft of it, and I wrote him back and said, I'm stealing all of this. And I did. Uh, we went to Whitby Island, um, Washington, to work with the Navy Station Church there. I call it that, but this year they've said, you know, we're going to start trying to be a local church. I went, cool. Anyway, um, and I did, all I did was the Holy Spirit, and I, and I used Tim Woodruff. And I can't remember, Tim Woodruff, Holy Spirit, find it on Amazon. Uh, he's one of our guys. He's really, really good. Um, a very nice guy. Oh, okay. Did not know that. I knew he's from this area. Uh, he was at Otter Creek for a while. And um, now he spends his life working with churches that are in transition between ministers. And does, does a great deal. Tried to recruit me for one church. And then about halfway through had to lean over and said, don't go to them. And I'm like, thank you. Uh, and we didn't go, and I'm really glad we didn't. Uh, yeah, walk, walk this, sorry? Walk this way. That might be it. I just remember reading the draft going, this is good. So you helped him with that, no wonder. Uh, um, but we, you do need to know more about the Holy Spirit. I need to, but, uh, I, that was rude. I need to understand more about the Holy Spirit. I think we all do. Now, can I just set up what happens next here's a miracle jesus could not do in some of our counties even some of them where there are massive distilleries which i will not mention uh, in fact I'd, i was asked to give a talk on this lesson at the uh, downtown church in little rock i'm uh, not little rock i'm sorry uh, searcy arkansas which is in white county which at that time was a dry county and I said, why are you even interested? Because Jesus couldn't do this here. But they asked me to anyway. It's a fascinating story, and we don't get it. Because everybody goes, oh, Jesus turned water into wine. He does miracles. People, if you don't know that by John chapter 2, you're never going to know it. The miracle, please hear this, is the least important part of the story. It's the way he sets it up. And the way he got set up. Oh, I'll explain on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. That's an interesting phrase, phrasing, and is actually absolutely correct. At weddings, women are there, and men were invited. Is that not true, guys? The only, we, just, we sit there going, 
please let it be over, and is there cake? That's, we're just trying to survive. Uh, and on the way home, the wives think we were there, and so they will, they will quiz us on dresses and things and music, and we're going, I, I was just thinking about cake. Um, trying to make it to the cake. That's all I had. So she was there. He was invited. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Let's just stop right here. We got, we'll have to stop a lot in this. Um, when the wine was gone, that's not his responsibility. Last night, I got to do the wedding for Wes Cricker and Courtney Cassidy. And they're a cute couple. They're both deputy sheriffs. And their wedding cake was a wall of donuts. I kept thinking, that's really cute. Then I found out, no, that's the cake. I'm like, all right, then now it's gone to brilliant, frankly. It went from cute to brilliant. And it was on the way in, so you, you can actually, you know, if you weren't officiating the wedding, you know, sit back there and eat one, uh, especially if, you, if your wife's not there. But the, if they'd come up to me last night and said, um, they're out of donuts. I would look at them and go, and? In fact, I gotta say this. I was taken back a little bit because I drive this little three-wheel open thing called a slingshot because I have no personality and need to buy one. So I, that's, that's the way I, I but anyway, um, I d did not to the wedding because I took cami and uh, you know hair and, and the like. So I just drove my truck. Well, evidently, they had told their wedding planner that my little motorcycle thing was their escape vehicle after the wedding. Now, they were just kidding, but she didn't know that. And so I'm standing there. I've had my donut, so I'm wondering, how long do I have to stay now? Because I officiated. I really signed it. I'm kind of done. And the wedding planner comes up and goes, they're ready now to drive away. I went, cool. She goes, well, they're going to need your vehicle. I went, what? She said, they're, they're going to need your, your slingshot. I said, I, I drove my truck. She goes, what, what are we going to do? And I said, I, they're not putting a girl in a wedding dress in that thing. Because, uh, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to blind semis behind you. Know, that's the way Jesus would have been feeling, standing there. And the mom comes up, they're out of wine. If he wasn't the son of God and no stuff, if he was just a guy, he would have said, bummer, uh, tell Habib to bring the camel, we're, we're out of here. You know, the party's over. I don't know how I know that the valet uh, was named Habib, but I'm pretty sure. Anyway, besides... She said, they have no more wine, and that's not what she thinks she said. She thinks she said, help them out. She didn't say that. She just made a statement of fact about the absence of a certain thing in the universe. Guys, see if this sounds like your life. They have no more wine. He, being God, who invented women... Uh, 1.0, knows what she means. So he says, Mom, 
no. She, being a woman, assumes that means yes. Anybody want to testify? If your wife's not here? I tell this story a lot. never happened, but it's just a great story. Uh, let's say my wife, because I'm a shrink, I know better, but let's say we're driving home. And my wife says, would you like some ice cream? And I think for a bit, and I go, no, not so much. And drive home. I'm in trouble. I'm not allowed to know why. That'll come out years later. Perhaps as I'm in a hospital and wake up and see a hand hovering over a life support system plug. And I go, why? And she goes, I wanted ice cream. You didn't get it. I didn't know. I would have done like people do in the South when the Krispy Kreme light comes on. I would have crossed eight traffic lanes of traffic to get to it. Have you ever seen that happen, by the way? I have. I've been in South Carolina where that light came on and whoosh, right across and you, what happened? Well, and we're trying, trying to beat the, the, the sheriffs there. And anyway, but anyway, it's brilliant stuff. People say, oh, that's bad for you. Seriously, really? Go visit a few nursing homes, then go get some donuts. Um, if, if you want to shorten your time there, I know how to make it cheap. Uh, moving on, this whole thing of, I told you what I wanted you to do, and guys are going, no, you didn't. Women have that problem with kids, too. They'll tell kids, be nice. That means nothing. Dads will say, you hit your sister one more time, I'm tearing your arm off and beating you with it. <laughs> Got it. Now we understand. Uh, by the way, if your dad didn't say that to you, mine said it to me. He, except he would go, he would, you know, I'll, I'll beat you with a bloody stump, is what he used to say. And um, yeah, you know, I'm laying there. Anyway, I have so many, so much pain. Um, I want to set this up for next week. Jesus hadn't planned this. So when he did it, he wanted it to mean something. But it doesn't mean what you think it means. But you're going to have to come back next week. Yeah, you have to come to church again. <laughs> and those of you that can't come, you can listen on the podcast. Those of you who could have come but don't, the podcast costs $5,000. <laughs> but if you can't make it back, then it's free. All right, we'll see you next Sunday.